As a gardener, my eyes have been trained to look down, to survey the crop in my backyard, and to look for things that just shouldn't be there, like holes in the ground, caterpillars, or weeds. I can spot a tuft of ryegrass that's cuddling up a little too close to my Brussels sprouts from a mile away. Now, looking down has some advantages, and if you ever visit Iceland, I highly recommend looking down. Sure, you're going to want to check out those beautiful icy blue glaciers and maybe take a dip in a hot spring. But if you visit one of the many rugged, foreboding lava fields, look down. There among those volcanic rocks, in between the fissures, the cracks, the scars in the earth, you might spot Iceland's national flower peeking through. The flower's name is Holtasoli. It's a tiny flower with creamy white petals and a little yellow center. And it seems impossible that it can grow in such seemingly inhospitable land that was shaped by volcanic rage and geological violence. And yet nature finds a way. The lava feeds the land. As it decomposes, it gives nutrients and minerals back to the soil. The flower is a sign of resilience. People often find a way, too. Even in places far from Iceland, like in Rwanda, where the scar tissue of violence is so thick that it seems like nothing can grow. People are fed by necessity, by hope, and by a will to rebuild. People are resilient. From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. At OXO, no design detail is too small. Take, for example, their stainless steel measuring cups and spoons. Category director Francoise Viello explains. Okay, how do people generally tend to store these things? And so we added magnets instead of just your basic ring, which frustrates a lot of people. The other thing that people really rely on is just really robust measurement markings. And so we made sure that we had those laser etched. And so when you think about something that's as basic as that, and you're like, how could you get yourself wound up by something that's so sort of minor in the world of kitchenware. Um, it's because we're so particular about all the, the elements. Get particular about your kitchen tools. Shop all products at OXO.com. That's OXO.com. OXO, better guaranteed. Hey, thanks to our presenting sponsor, Bob's Red Mill. Stay tuned at the break for their quiz. I'm a vegetarian, and before I went to Rwanda, I packed a bunch of protein bars. This is Shayna Sheely, a radio producer from the Bay Area. I'd spent time in other East African countries where the cuisine was meat-heavy, so I wanted to be prepared. When I got to Kigali, though, I saw woven baskets overflowing with floppy oyster mushrooms in the markets. My hotel served stir-fried oyster mushrooms in the breakfast buffet, at one upscale restaurant in Kigali called Heaven, I ordered a dish called mushroom cappuccino. It's local mushroom. It's local customers like it. It was a creamy oyster mushroom soup served in a cappuccino cup topped with a cumin-spiced milky froth. The menu flaunted the mushrooms as grown there in Kigali. It's mushroom cappuccino. We have on the cappuccino cup. It's really nice. I came to Rwanda to report on development in agriculture. 
Rwanda is hilly and fertile. It has a densely packed population of about 12.5 million people. Mushrooms aren't new to Rwanda. Rwandans have harvested mushrooms from the forest for ages. But tree oyster mushrooms are a new species there. They arrived around 20 years ago by way of development projects. In fact, development projects, both economic and social, well, they've been on the rise in Rwanda in the past decade. These efforts were all put in place to rebuild Rwanda in the wake of the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi. There are no pictures from today, but we're told there's a bloodbath underway in Kigali, the capital of Rwanda. I've seen some of the most terrible things today that I've ever seen. It's been absolutely horrific. A flood of refugees. Every day, thousands upon thousands of people fleeing the war-torn capital of Kigali arrive here in Ruangu, trying to escape the war. The Hutu and Tutsi are two of the largest ethnic groups in Rwanda. Tension between the two groups runs deep, and it came to a head on April 6, 1994. The Rwandan president was assassinated, and in the ensuing chaos, the Hutus organized a brutal killing spree of the Tutsi population. It lasted 100 days. The genocide ended when the Tutsis regained control of Kigali, Rwanda's capital. During the genocide, one million Rwandans were killed. Two million more were displaced. And in the aftermath, the country was devastated. The fighting destroyed the population and also damaged infrastructure and left crops untended. Paul Kagame became Rwanda's president in 2000. For us, we need to move uh, the longer distance of delivering on uh, improving lives to a significant extent for our people. He had an urgent goal to rebuild Rwanda. His focus was to strengthen the economy with infrastructure and transportation projects, good governance, health, and education, and growing business and agriculture. Right before he became president, Kagame consulted with leaders from emerging and developing nations, including China, and then launched a program called Vision 2020. The goal of Vision 2020 was to transform Rwanda from an impoverished country to a middle-income country. Kagame had a huge task ahead of him. But while he's been referred to as one of the most impressive African leaders, it's important to note that human rights groups have accused Kagame of political repression— He has arrested journalists and people in opposing political parties. But many of his policies and programs have seen results. Rwanda is one of the fastest-growing economies in Central Africa. In the past decade, its GDP has grown about 5% every year. GDP is a complicated metric, but it's essentially the value of goods and services produced in the Rwandan economy. So, especially when one considers that this is occurring in the wake of a devastating genocide— This growth is incredibly substantial. And a lot of that business growth is the direct result of enterprising Rwandans creating their own businesses. And that brings us back to mushrooms. My company is Yummy Mushrooms Limited. Elan Christian Ruzindana started his business five years ago as a mushroom farmer in Kigali. He calls himself... The Mushroom Guy. (laughs) The Mushroom Guy. In a lot of ways... He's like most 20-somethings. I love movies. Yes. And I like sport, mm-hmm. playing. I even played rugby. I love soccer mm-hmm. and jogging and basketball wow. sometimes. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, he's not. 
because mostly he talks about compost and soil and mushrooms. Sometimes they make fun of me. They call me Jihumyo. That's how mushroom is called in Finland. Jihumyo, the mushroom guy is here. So, but in a funny way, kind of like it. While Christian calls himself the mushroom guy, he's actually one of some 33,000 mushroom growers in Rwanda. I was at Christian's house one night in Kigali. It was a wet May evening, pouring outside. Christian and his girlfriend, Arlette Umugwaneza, made dinner. And unsurprisingly, the meal was centered around oyster mushrooms. The, sometimes my my girlfriend cooked them and make a small spicy sauce and put it in spaghetti. Oh. Yes. And it's really delicious. And like, like a bolognese. Yes, yes, like a bolognese, but with mushrooms. Oh <laughs> yes, that's my favorite. If, if there is mushroom, no need of meat. Arlette stirred mushrooms over a two-burner gas stove until they withered into stringy pieces. Christian sat on a couch opposite the stove, barefoot, in a purple plaid button-down and jeans, watching Arlette cook. And going on and on and on about mushrooms. Yeah, it's yummy. Yummy mushrooms. <laughs> We're laughing because even at dinner, Christian is plugging yeah. his business. Like here we eat like a, a half kg every day. Wow. Like four people. Do you eat mushrooms for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Yes, lunch and dinner. Most of the time dinner. Yes. Mushrooms are nutritious. I've spoken to nutritionists who say mushrooms can provide supplementary nutrition, like amino acids, vitamins, and minerals. The Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN encourages mushroom cultivation among small-scale farmers. And that's because mushrooms are a good source of vitamin B, C, and D. And they're also full of various minerals, including potassium, phosphorus, calcium, magnesium, iron, and copper. Not to mention, they're a really good economic choice. It's much cheaper than meat. So it makes sense that Christian and his family eat so many mushrooms. Christian discovered oyster mushrooms when he was still in high school. One day, when he was walking around his neighborhood, he stumbled upon a group of older women carrying old leftover corn cups. Christian was curious. He followed the women down an alleyway to large plastic barrels nearly as tall as he was. The barrels were stuffed with corn cups wrapped in plastic, and they were sprouting fungus. Christian was intrigued by the sprouting cobs and showed up again the next day, and the next, and the next. But I was a kid there and watching, and the first time they went to harvest, I went with them, and it was fruiting from a small hole of, of the plastic bag, and it was amazing. I recall that moment, and I said, wow. The women were farming oyster mushrooms. The mushroom mycelium is planted in the corn cobs, which acts sort of like a log for the mushrooms. For the next few years, Christian watched these women from a distance as they collected corn cobs to grow mushrooms off of. And then he watched as the women reaped a profit from the fungus that sprouted. And then, after he finished high school, he decided to leave home in Kigali for the University of Rwanda in the southern part of the country. Christian had big dreams for himself— he thought he would study medicine or engineering, something that would give him the tools to help Rwanda. When I went to school, I went on a government scholarship. 
and I feel like it's my moral obligation to give back what I was given. At the time, the University of Rwanda's agriculture department touted farming as a way to help rebuild the country. The agriculture sector was decimated by the fighting during the genocide, and there was lots of rebuilding to do. Oyster mushrooms, as opposed to other varieties like button mushrooms, they work really well as a crop in Rwanda for a few reasons. They're easy and relatively inexpensive to grow, and they leave behind natural fertilizer that can be used for the next batch. But also the fact that they grow in a small space, because Rwanda is a very small country and they have a lot of people. In addition to working well in small spaces, mushrooms are also resilient in the face of climate change. They can outlive destructive flooding, which is happening more and more in Rwanda. Plus, they're nutritious. When I was a kid, I used to go to upcountry to my parents to see my grandmother. My, and when you get there, you see different kids, like different kids. They don't look like you. They, most of them are malnourished. They don't eat well. They look old, yet they're young. You can see like a, a five-year kid who is very old. He doesn't have like energy. He doesn't play like other kids. So this kept coming back in my mind that we need food security and it's always in the news. We are not getting enough food. We are having aid from foreign countries. And it, yet we have land, we have all we need, the good weather. Christian studied agriculture in the southern province of Rwanda in a town called Huye. Christian's first visit to the Rwandan Agriculture Board's mushroom facility with his student group left him in amazement. I was amazed by how fast they grow and the impact they can make for Rwanda, for my people. Christian's love of mushrooms was reinvigorated with an additional sense of purpose, a desire to rebuild his country. In university, Christian learned how to grow oyster mushrooms using a Chinese method called junkao. In Mandarin, jun means mushroom, and kao means grass. For oyster mushrooms to be grown using the junkao method, you need three things. A container, dirt, and something called spawn. The container is a soft plastic tube, but it really looks kind of like a sock or a big plastic sausage casing. It's stuffed with dirt, or really a mixture of materials. The original junkao method used grass, but in Rwanda, farmers use ingredients like cottonseed husk, lime, and rice bran. This is called the substrate. It's junkao's answer to the corn husks the old women in Christian's neighborhood used to use. It gives the spawn something to colonize and grow from. Then you have to inoculate. After the tube is sterilized, it's inoculated with spawn. Now, the spawn is the most important part. It's full of a substance called mycelium. It's like fungi's version of a seed. It's a thread-like network of fungal vegetation that actually creates the mushrooms. You take the mushroom spawn, you stuff it inside, and it starts colonizing. At first, the tubes sprout a white, stringy fuzz, and then small round buttons. It takes 10 to 14 days to produce full-grown mushrooms. A farmer will harvest every couple weeks for a three-month period before the tubes need to be replaced. The tubes sell for anywhere between 250 and 600 Rwandan franc, so that's like 25 to 63 cents. 
When Christian graduated from the University of Rwanda in his early 20s, he did what a lot of recent grads do. He went home to Kigali and moved back in with his mom. But then, he cashed in all his savings to the Rwandan Agriculture Board to buy 50 plastic tubes stuffed with materials for sprouting oyster mushrooms. He stacked them in his mom's backyard. And it kept growing, kept growing. And does your mom like mushrooms? Yeah, yeah, very much. She was very, very happy that I started the project. The mushroom cooperative Christian studied in back in university is a project developed by the Rwandan Agriculture Board in conjunction with the Chinese government. The formal name is actually the China-Rwanda Agriculture Technology Demonstration Center, or the ATDC. We received students from the university. They came, they spent there like one month in trainings. Sendia Parfait works for the Rwandan Agriculture Board and is in charge of the mushroom project. The goals of the project are to promote crop diversification, nutrition, job creation, and in general, economic development. It's like a gift because it's a training center. Yeah. So this project helps farmers to produce mushrooms. They produce also the substrate for mushroom. China has been investing in many African countries for years now, and in more than just agriculture. Their investment in developing nations is not solely altruistic. There are a lot of power dynamics involved that, frankly, we could spend hours talking about. But the important thing to know here is that Rwandans are currently benefiting from the Chinese training and technology. Right. Sendia calls it a gift because it does feel like a gift. But it's also part of a larger trade relationship. Between 2005 and 2012, trade between the two countries increased tenfold. The Oyster Mushroom Project is just a tiny slice of China's involvement in Rwanda. When the mushroom facility was first built back in 2011, Sendia says about 50 people per month came to the center to learn how to grow oyster mushrooms. But now, every month we get around uh, 26,000. Wow. And how do the farmers find you? Like, how do, they, how do they find your project? Some of them come on their own, but uh, others, they get information from other farmers because they have seen that the project is very successful. Sandia says mushroom farmers in Rwanda sold some 675,000 pounds of oyster mushrooms last year. My hope is to see mushroom industry growing and uh, fighting that uh, malnutrition in our country. Sandia is optimistic that the mushrooms could make a real impact in feeding and rebuilding Rwanda. In Rwanda, we like to eat potatoes, but also beans. But if you compare those staples with mushrooms, nutritionary uh, mushrooms are higher than those others. Even beans? Yeah, even beans. And you believe that it could really work to fight malnutrition? I believe it can work. It can help those people who don't have much money to buy other things. They can grow their mushrooms at home and get something to eat, which is very nutritious. But also, Sandia says farmers can make a lot of money in a short period of time to buy other things they need. On average, farmers buy around 50 tubes every three months. It's really difficult to pinpoint a mushroom farmer's income. 
because the fluctuation in the cost of materials and sale price of mushrooms, depending on where the farmer lives and sells. In the end, it doesn't amount to much money, though. Somewhere between $20 and $60 per month for a farmer that has about 50 tubes, which is absolutely not enough to support yourself. But it requires so little labor that it can be a nice bonus or side project. After the break, oyster mushrooms face the real test. Will Rwandans cook and eat them? It's time for another Bob's Red Mill Grain Quiz, and today I have our creative director, John Torres, on the phone. Hey, John. Hey, Bridget. Okay, so it's 2020 now, but let's go back 220,000 years ago, back to the Paleolithic era. All right. Okay, so let's say that you were invited to a caveman's New Year's Eve party, and you were asked to bring the cake. So what would you use to bake it? Would it be A, almond flour, B, arrowroot starch, C, coconut flour, or D, tapioca flour? Oh, paleo party. Let me think. Um, I feel like almonds are maybe around back then. Uh, and I can make a pretty mean flourless chocolate cake. So I'm going to say A, almond flour. <laughs> Actually, all of them are correct. Almond flour, arrowroot starch, coconut flour, and tapioca flour, they all make up Bob's Red Mill paleo baking flour. And that's perfect for all of your caveman baking needs. So for more information and a ton of delicious recipes, go to bobsredmill.com. It's okay to be square, especially if you're the Kohler Gray's Kitchen Faucet. The faucet's transitional design features a soft square shape that will fit into any kitchen's decor. And it comes in a bunch of finishes, like polished chrome, vibrant brushed nickel, and matte black. The faucet head is versatile. It's got aerate sweep and berry soft sprays that allow you to pick the right water stream for the task at hand. The Grays also comes in a full collection, so whether you need a pull-down touchless faucet, a pot filler, or even a bar faucet, Kohler has you covered. Kohler, for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Learn more at Kohler.com. Sure, everyone knows that sous vide is great for cooking steak and eggs, but it can do so much more. And that's why Chef Steps created the Jewel. I went into the test kitchen to find out what my colleagues do with theirs. This roast beef that we have, we set it to a really low temperature and we let it go overnight. The collagen breaks down, the meat gets super, super tender. Basically prime rib, but a quarter of the price. Polenta grits, normally that's a very hands-on dish. You have to like stir it a lot. Sous vide is pretty cool for it because it's hands-off. I actually have a couple of things in the sous vide bath right now, this very moment as we speak. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code ATK2019 to get $15 off. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code ATK2019. America's Test Kitchen Kids just launched a cooking club for young chefs. Now stay tuned at the end of this episode for a preview of our new subscription box program, The Young Chefs Club, plus a discount code. Before the break, radio producer Shana Sheely brought us this story of the oyster mushroom industry in Rwanda. The Rwandan Agriculture Board isn't the only group teaching people how to grow mushrooms. There's another one called Kigali Farms. It got its start in Kigali, but now its primary operation is on the opposite end of the country in the far north. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Kigali, near the blue-green Virunga mountain range, in a rural town called Musanze. 
and these are, this is another way too. We hung the tubes. Oh, they also I didn't even see me. these mushrooms. Uh -huh. We work with different farmers to see what best way they can use to grow mushrooms a profitable way. Ella mm -hmm. Mutuyimana is a project manager at Kigali Farms. She's tall and thin and very fashionable. Kigali Farms is experimenting with making their own version of the Junkau tubes. Remember the plastic socks essential to the oyster mushroom growing? They play with the placement of the tubes and wait to see which arrangement grows best. So this is the way we are now selling to them. This one? Yeah, this, a house like this, mm -hmm. and planting them in the soil. Ella so took me to the Kigali Farms grow houses, which are huts made of woven bamboo. So it's basically like a raised bed with soil, and then you plant the tubes in the soil. Yeah. And then mushrooms sprout up, and it's in like a bamboo hut. Like yeah, a, a woven bamboo. Yeah, and house. you put plastic on the on the floor. There are dozens of mushroom huts. It's dark and damp inside the huts, which is the ideal growing environment for oyster mushrooms. Ella shines her flashlight on the tubes. In this light, they look like art sculptures. One hut has tubes hanging on strings from the ceiling. Another is lined in wet blankets with mushrooms sprouting from the ground. Each of the huts is set up differently. Kigali Farms holds monthly trainings in Musanze. People come to the trainings from all over the countryside by bus and car and motorbike. The day I visited, there were 25 potential mushroom farmers sitting in rows of plastic chairs, taking notes and nodding as a lecture diagrammed the anatomy of a mushroom tube on butcher paper taped to the wall. The potential farmers come from all over northern province, from all different backgrounds. It takes a bus, but it's actually also far from the bus. One is a practicing lawyer. Another is a community organizer. <laughs> He's saying that when you eat it, there's something that touches your tongue and you just, but like, is this meat? Oh, it's not. So it's like confusingly good. That's how it's describing it. We mentioned the nutritional benefits of mushrooms earlier. Their amino acids and vitamins. But there are mycologists, that's the term for scientists who study fungi, who caution against overselling mushrooms' nutritional profile. I spoke to George Wong, a mycologist at the University of Hawaii. He said that Yes, while oyster mushrooms can be utilized as a supplement for a healthy, balanced diet, they shouldn't be relied upon as a staple to solve malnutrition. So mushrooms might not be able to solely feed a nation, but oyster mushrooms can be grown as a source of income for Rwandans, one that can help lift them from poverty and offer them the buying power to provide for themselves. But... Selling the mushrooms in rural areas presents a challenge all of its own. There are fewer formal markets, so Kigali Farms has to help create markets to give people the tools to grow and buy and sell mushrooms to each other. About 10 minutes up the road in a small town, Vestine showed me her mushrooms up close. Vestine has short hair and wears a long, bright red cotton dress. Her tubes are buried in wet soil in a raised bed. So what makes me happy is that for the mushroom, you can harvest every day. Mm -hmm. So if you need cash, 
I can pay the school fees for my kids. It's not like you are cultivating uh, potatoes, you have to wait, but for the mushrooms daily, you, you have the crops. After a visit to Kigali Farms, Vestine bought 200 mushroom tubes and started a cooperative for seven people, mostly women. Since then, Vestine's cooperative has grown mushrooms from over 15,000 mushroom tubes. So she explained that since she's a health worker, she knows better how people are around her. And she's supposed to teach them how to eat better, how to take good care of themselves. And she learned about mushrooms and their benefits and felt like she could share it with other people around her. So now that she's working with you, that's her job to tell other people the benefits of the mushrooms and to bring it to them now that she's growing them. She goes to community meetings to recruit people to Kigali farm trainings, and she always shows up to meetings with a big vat of mushroom stew. She says that it's good for the kids because they grow better, and it's also good against aging (laughs) and for the well-being of a person morally. Bestine like so many other farmers I met in Rwanda, is an oyster mushroom evangelist. So much that, yes, she believes that eating them can make you a better person. As we left town, we passed a painting of oyster mushrooms perfectly graffitied onto a cement wall, with words in Kirwanda stenciled underneath that translate to include mushrooms on your plate, then get healthy. In the rural areas, the mushrooms cost about half a U.S. dollar per pound. In Kigali, a pound of mushrooms can cost double that amount. But the price fluctuates, especially in the rainy season when mushrooms grow like crazy. That's when the prices drop. In the rainy season, there are many, and the price goes down. Dealing with surplus mushrooms is now Christian's biggest challenge. Mushrooms, especially oyster mushrooms, are really hard to transport. They're delicate and they wilt quickly, especially without refrigeration. So to make sure that a surge of supply doesn't drive down the local sale prices for farmers, especially in big cities like Kigali, Kigali farms have started exporting mushrooms to neighboring countries like the Democratic Republic of the Congo. But Christian doesn't have those same means to export his crop internationally. Instead, he gets real creative with his surplus crop. So, and we are having a lot of mushroom that perish after harvesting because we don't have post-harvest technology to process them. So, once we are able to get a dryer and have powder, then the powder could be a raw material for other stuff like uh, cookies and other like stuff. Cookies? Like, you think you could make cookies out of mushrooms? Yes. Like sweet cookies? Mm-hmm. If cookies made from dried mushroom powder don't embody the entrepreneurial spirit of Christian's work, I don't know what does. To protect rural farmers from market fluctuations and insecure market structure, Kigali Farms has guaranteed to buy back 30% of each farmer's output. They'll sell those mushrooms to big hotels and restaurants in Kigali, ones they already have relationships with. But the real challenge for the bulk of mushroom farmers in Rwanda is access to Junkau tubes. Uh, The main challenge is the availability of tubes. 
Sendia Parfait from the Rwandan Agriculture Board again. We produce the tubes, but you find that the people who own those tubes are far away from the center. And uh, if the farmer wants to buy the tube, they have to come to our center. Whether farmers are traveling to Masanze in the north or Huye in the south, they still have to figure out a way to get to the tubes and come up with the money to buy them. Because the farmer has to pay the tubes, but also he has to pay the transports. Christian came up against this challenge himself as soon as he started selling mushrooms from his mom's backyard. But also in terms of the survival of the business, I needed to scale up because my market was expanding and people got interested in my mushrooms, so I looked away to make my own tubes. Like the savvy businessman he is, Christian realized that owning every part of the production process was the key to controlling his mushroom destiny. So he figured out a way to make his own tubes. His plan was to sell the tubes to other growers. Christian experimented with different materials like rice bran and cotton husk to stuff the tube and stacked them in a variety of shapes to learn which tubes produce the most mushrooms. Christian still runs his business from his mom's backyard. It's all very DIY looking. There are a bunch of sheds with big steel doors and inside thousands of tubes. Some are hanging, Others are stacked on bunk beds. Some are lined up in rows. So this is like a pyramid of tubes mm-hmm. with dirt yes, in between yes. them and you stack them. Yeah, and I have like 3,000 tubes. 3, yes, tubes. yes, tubes. In addition to creating his own tubes and creating growing techniques, Christian has created a loan business. He gives his tubes to other growers and asks for payment in the form of oyster mushrooms, which he then sells to Kigali buyers he's already built relationships with. That's what earned Christian his nickname, the mushroom guy. The guy who sells mushrooms all over Kigali. I have customers around supermarkets, hotels, and people in offices. He delivers an average of 70 pounds of mushrooms every day. After you factor in his costs and overhead, he makes 5,000 Rwandan franc per day selling mushrooms. A little more than $5.00. But he makes a much bigger profit from people buying his tubes, like Mukashima Diane, who started buying Christian's tubes and growing mushrooms at her parents' house after she was fired from her job. I like them the way they look and the fact that you can really take care of them so easily yeah, and get um, like a quick result. Diane is 25 years old. She's carrying a cloth sack with 10 kilograms of oyster mushrooms. It's her main source of income. When she started growing mushrooms, Christian bought them back from her and sold them to restaurants he had relationships with. Yeah, but before he used to buy them from me because he wanted to secure the market for me. So all I had to do is take care of the mushrooms. So when they're about to be ready, I tell him, Christian, come this day, they are ready. So he take them. That's all. I don't bother asking who, whatever, no. I was really fine. So after a period of time, I have to go out of the nest. By buying back some of her initial crop, Christian absorbed some of Diane's initial risk. It was a good deal for both of them. But soon enough, Diane was able to gradually build up a customer base of her own. And sometimes, the demand is greater than her supply. So 
Sometimes I have to call Christian, do you have some? So you so, buy mushrooms from Christian? Sometimes, yes. All this is exactly what Christian had in mind when he was back in school and dreamt of oyster mushroom entrepreneurship. Helping people, feeding people, and giving people the tools to start their own businesses. When Christian was a kid, he wanted to be a priest, and later, a doctor. I was a little bit smart at school, mm-hmm. and, and it was said that smart kids but they become doctors, and, and I wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, after it changed, I don't know how, but maybe I found myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I became a mushroom farmer. (laughs) (laughs) But Christian sees his motivation as the same. For him, it's bigger than mushrooms. It's about the opportunity the mushrooms create for Rwanda. It's the best time to grow and to live in Rwanda right now. Rwanda is being reborn. It's what I call like founding father Said. It's a story you could tell your kid and your grandkid that there was a time that Gwanda was down and that was a part of the people that helped to grow and develop and give you the good life that you have. The story that Christian will tell his grandkids is about how he helped feed his country with oyster mushrooms. Turning a new crop into an engine of economic and social development, it's not as easy as just growing food. There are obstacles and complications. Access to material and training, distribution, the risk of harvesting a surplus or not growing enough. But it's clear that Rwandans like Christian want to be the producers of their country's future. And they don't see any of these complications, these challenges, as insurmountable. While reporting this story, I heard from a lot of people who believed oyster mushroom farming could really help Rwanda. And while I know it's not quite so simple, I have seen what these mushrooms can do. And so I feel optimistic too. Thanks to radio producer Shana Sheely for this incredible story. The International Women's Media Foundation supported Shana's reporting from Rwanda as part of the African Great Lakes Reporting Initiative. If you want to see some great photos of oyster mushroom farming in Rwanda, they're up on our website. That's www.americastestkitchen.com proof. Go check it out. And one more thing. If you like proof, then be sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our producer. Associate producer, Caroline Rickert. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Post-production support from Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Jack Bishop is one fun guy and the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bob's Red Mill, Kohler, Chef Steps, and OXO. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.
I'm here in the studio with my colleague, Molly Birnbaum, and she's the editor-in-chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids. Hey, Molly. Hey, Bridget. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You bet. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about America's Test Kitchen Kids? Yeah, for sure. So America's Test Kitchen Kids is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. All of the great, reliable recipes and cooking content of America's Test Kitchen, but reimagined for kids. And we just launched a new Young Chefs Club subscription box. Kids receive a themed box filled with kid-tested recipes, hands-on activities and experiments, and other super fun creative stuff. Sounds great. Can you give me, uh, I don't know, an example of some of the experiments that you might receive in one of those Young Chef Club boxes? I can actually do you one better, Bridget. I've actually brought an assistant with me to the studio today. This is Layla. Hi. Hi, <laughs> Layla. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. So today we're going to explore the science of crispy versus crunchy, two super important textures and two of the most popular food textures for snacks. This is part of a science experiment for our January Young Chefs Club texture box. So we're going to start. You guys both have some chips, classic potato chips, and tortilla chips. Do you think you can tell the difference between crispy and crunchy using just your ears, just the sound that you hear when you bite into those chips? Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. All right. Let's get into it. So I'm going to eat the potato chip first. I think this one is crispy. Crispy, why? Because it's more delicate and more, like, easier to break. Okay. Great. Want to try the other one? Yeah. Okay, so this one is the tortilla chip. (laughs) What does that one sound like to you? I think that the tortilla chips were more... um, thick and I think they were crunchy because they sounded like lower pitch in my mouth. Yeah, they sounded like my brother is yelling at each other. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the potato chips sounded crispier because it sounded like more high pitched in my mouth and it sounded like my guinea pig kind of (laughs) like um, squeaking and stuff because it was more high pitched. Yeah, that's totally right. One thing that scientists agree on with crispy and crunchy foods is that they sound different when we eat them. And so you are are right. The potato chip is crispy, whereas the tortilla chip is crunchy. And in the science experiment in the box, we go into that in a bunch of different ways, including measuring the force it takes to break one of these chips. But what scientists have found is that people describe foods that make higher-pitched sounds as crispy and foods that make lower pitch sounds as crunchy. This was great. And thanks, Layla. Thank you to Molly. And if you want to get this experiment and lots of other great recipes and activities for the young chef in your life, well, then head over to atkkids.com proof. Use code ATKKIDS10 at checkout for 10% off your first box. Hey, Layla, what's your favorite chip? Um, which flavor? Any kind. I like salt and vinegar.